Welcome to our North Church podcast. We hope this message encourages you. For further information about our church, please visit churchnorth.com or check out our social media at Church North. It's great to be here and great to have the opportunity just to share a few things with you. Earlier this week, Dave, um, Dave and Nabs have gone off to a wedding and he spoke to me earlier this week. He said, could you share something this Sunday? which is kind of a bridge between what I've been talking about, which, of course, you all know. What joy, what joy I've told you now. What, I was going to say, what's Dave spoken about the last two weeks? Joy. <clears throat> been talking about joy and a theology of joy. And last week, particularly how Jesus, for the joy set before him, pressed through the cross. Sort of building us towards Easter, which, of course, is next Sunday. So I want to share something with you to kind of bridge those two Thoughts, the Easter centrality of Christ and what Dave's been preaching. And in one sense, um, preparing you for Easter is, is a nonsense because some of you will take the view, well, as Christians, every day is Easter. You know, every day is Christmas too. Every day is Pentecost as well. All the key themes of scripture we live in the good of 24-7, don't we? However, we are human, and we forget and we get lost in the busyness of life, and the church calendar does serve us and help us to focus on some of those crucial events as we go through each year. So I guess my question is, are you ready for Easter? Now, I don't mean have you got the leg of lamb ordered, and have you got all the chocolate eggs you need? And if you're going on your holidays, have you got your suntan lotion? All the things that may prepare you practically. I'm really meaning, are you prepared spiritually for Easter? You see, I think Easter comes around once a year and it just jolts us back into Christ-centeredness. It makes us realize, actually, if there was no Easter, we have no Christianity. It's that crucial. Easter is all about the resurrection, right? It's about the death of Jesus, dying for us, and him being raised to newness of life. And actually, the root of the word Easter goes into, it's about the resurrection. It's the new dawn. When we celebrate Easter, we're celebrating new life, a new day. But there would have been no new life, no new day without Easter. It's interesting in 1 Corinthians 15, where the Apostle Paul is dealing with the theme of the resurrection of the dead, he says this. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. (laughs) Then he carries on a long passage in verse 17. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, that means died, are lost without Easter. Everything we believe, everything we've gathered here to celebrate, everything we've sung in the worship, everything you've placed your trust in is gone. And we're in the same position as every other human being trying to work out what is life all about. I'm convinced Easter contributes to our ability to answer all the big questions that are in every human being's heart. 
Now, every human being has got questions around origins, around meaning, around morality, and around destiny. If you could answer those questions and the issues around those four words, you've pretty much got life sussed. Origins. Where have we come from? What, why are we here? What's the origin of humanity, the origin of the world? What's my origin? Origins. Meaning. Okay, now I'm here. What is this life all about? It seems to be incredibly short. And there's all these people who've gone before me, and there's obviously going to be lots coming after me. And what does it mean? Morality. As you live this life, you begin to realize we could do with some values to guide how we live. Because it seems we're always at war. It seems we're, we're falling out. We don't seem to learn the, the lessons of history. So what is true morality? Is there an objective standard? What is truth? All the big questions. Then, of course, destiny. And when I die, which is inevitable for us all, then what? The big questions. I would suggest to you, Easter helps us answer all four to some extent or the other. It gives us a context, a framework. And that's what I love about Christianity. I believe it's the only sensible, rational Logical and believable, true explanation of all those big questions for humanity. So we need to prepare for Easter. Be ready for Easter because all the people who are coming next weekend have got those questions in their head as well. And Jesus, we believe, is part of the answer. Now, whether you're grumpy about Easter or whether you're happy about Easter, whether you're Jesus-centric or just chocolate-centric, I do believe we need to prepare for Easter simply because Jesus was prepared for Easter. He was really, really prepared for Easter. I mean, his whole life had been about it, if you think about it. Each step he took, each daily decision, took him purposefully towards the day when he would one day lay his life down as that once-for-all-time sacrifice for sin. That would be the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. And he would go into the ground for three days. Then he would raise to new life and usher in a whole possibility for humanity. His life was on that trajectory. Now, I say he laid his life down because it was a choice. You've got to remember that Jesus was truly divine, but also truly human. And his humanity made him just like you. And you, faced with the horror of the cross, could well have chosen not to bother going through with it. As Dave explained last week, it was for the joy set before him. He looked beyond it and pressed through the suffering and the pain, which is often where we find ourselves in life. He could have pulled out. Do you remember what he prayed in Gethsemane? In Luke 22, he prayed, Father, if you're willing... Take this cup from me. If you're willing, Lord, take it away. I don't like the feel of it. I know what's involved in it. It's going to be awful. Lord, if you're willing, take it away. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Wow. And he made the choice to press through for the joy set before him. He used his power to choose to deal with humanity's misuse of that same power to choose. If you go right back to the beginning, 
And now because he did go through the cross, he did go through Easter, we now have another option to choose with our free will as human beings. We can choose to believe in what Jesus has won for us through the Easter message. Jesus was well prepared for Easter. You know, think of his life. He'd lived a sinless life, which qualified him. He became the only being who's ever lived who could deal with the sin problem because he had none of his own to deal with. And he deliberately lived that life, put it on display so he could deal with the consequence of our sin. Back in his early ministry, he'd, he'd resisted the temptation that Satan threw his way in the wilderness. He'd stood his ground and come through and won that battle over temptation. Then he'd preached the message of the kingdom for three years, preached to his disciples and the crowds and dealt with the teachers of the law and all those who would come against him. He trained and equipped his followers. He'd, he'd done as best he could to fulfill all the Old Testament prophetic expectations. So it's as if everything's on this trajectory towards Easter, 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 Easter's coming. His whole life was focused on it as he navigated his journey. Eventually, when you read his story through the Gospels, you get to the equivalent of this week. You get to a few days before the cross, which, of course, took place at the Passover festival. The Last Supper was the Passover meal that Jesus ate with his disciples. And if we follow John's accounts, John chapter 12 gets us to six days before the Passover. Six days before the Passover, it says that Jesus went to Lazarus' house. Remember, Lazarus was the guy who he'd raised from the dead. I think it's interesting, he went to Lazarus' house just before he's about to die and be raised from the dead. It's as if revisiting the theme of resurrection. But while he's there, Lazarus' sister, Mary, anoints him with incredibly expensive perfume. She smashes a jar, pours it on him. And everybody's horrified. Why is she wasting all that money on Jesus? And he explains it by saying, she's anointing my body for burial. Wow. Just in the days before the cross. So he's revisiting resurrection. There's this sense of being anointed for burial. In John chapter 12, a bit further on, it then says that the next day, so this is five days before the Passover, he entered Jerusalem riding on the donkey. And they all got the palm fronds down. And that's where we get Psalm, um, <coughs> this Sunday from, Palm Sunday, this Sunday where uh, in the traditional church calendar. It's kind of all heading towards Easter. Then you get to John chapter 13, which is described, it starts by saying, just before the Passover. So it's literally days before he's going to give his life. The stage feels like it's set. But on this day, he did one other final thing, which I've never really noticed the timing of this until this week, as I was preparing for today. And I want us to read it. John chapter 13. This is what Jesus did virtually as one of the last acts for his disciples. It says in verse 1, it was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. 
Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. So it's kind of all set. The Easter thing is set. And it says in verse 3, Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power, that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize what I'm doing now, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon says, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. That's how keen he was to be part of who Jesus was and what he was doing. Jump down to verse 12. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you all should wash one another's feet. I set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So one of the very last things he does for his disciples before the cross is to serve them. He serves them in the most menial of tasks. He serves them doing a job that he shouldn't have been doing. You know, the lowest, lowly servant in the household should have been just washing the feet when they came in from the dusty roads and before they settled down for the meal. But this final act of serving encapsulates the spirit in which he'd lived his whole life. Jesus was about to go to the cross. And he was going to go to the cross as a servant. He was going to go as a servant. Yes, they put Jesus Christ, King of the Jews, on the sign above the cross. But from his point of view, from heaven's point of view, Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I think it's fascinating that he he serves his disciples in that really practical way. And then he goes on to serve the whole of humanity by making salvation available for us. Jesus is the Easter servant. It's not Jesus Christ's superstar. It's not Jesus Christ, I've got to do this for his own sake. He did it for you. He did it for me. Jesus, Easter is about Jesus serving us, serving humanity. And whether or not we can actually receive that service. He became the suffering servant prophesied by Isaiah in the Old Testament. He's the one who the Apostle Paul later describes as having taken the form of a servant and humbled himself and became obedient even to death on a cross. Now, that's a grand and glorious concept. Easter is a fabulous concept. But by washing the disciples' feet at the front end, I think Jesus made it really accessible. 
he did something for his disciples that was really practical. Then he said to them, now you wash each other's feet. Not literally get bowls out for the rest of eternity, but the principle of serving one another, being willing to do for others rather than for yourself, let that be what you remember. Remember it, guys. The Lord and Master washed our feet. Wow. How secure was he? (laughs) Jesus was prepared for Easter, which meant he was prepared to serve both his friends and the whole of humanity. He's what we've called the Easter servant today. Now, what can we learn from that to help us? There's two things that I feel I want to to bring to your attention out of this story. The first is this. Will you please let Jesus serve you? Let Jesus serve you. Now, often our instinct is to go the Peter route. When Jesus comes to serve, to bless, to deliver, to heal, to with wisdom, he, he brings his life towards us and we, we get all defensive. And we, we get human, we get proud, we, we think we know it all. <laughs> I love Peter's response. It's, no, Lord, it's inappropriate for you to be washing my feet. But once Jesus said, well, if I don't wash your feet, if you don't let me serve you, you've no part of me. He then wanted a bath. Didn't he? he then wanted to shower. It's like, come on then, all of me, Lord, wash me thoroughly. I think Jesus wants to come to each of us today. And he says, let me serve you. How, can I serve you? How can I serve you today? What do you need? Oh, it's nothing, Lord. It's only small. Small is good for Jesus. Oh, but it's massive, Lord. There's nothing, nothing that can possibly solve this issue. Give me a try. What Jesus has at his disposal to be able to serve you and I with is beyond our wildest understanding. He wants to wash our feet, the equivalent of that, to minister to us, even in the most mundane and medial aspects of life. It just becomes a case of will you let him or not? I think when we gather like this, well, the scripture says that when two or three gather in his name, Jesus is with us in the midst. So we know he's here. I think Jesus by his spirit is here saying, hey, let me serve you. Boy, you're you're anxious today. Let let me serve you some peace. Come to me, I'm the Prince of Peace. He wanders up and down the road and he goes, wow, you're really distracted, aren't you? Because you've got pain going on in your family world. Because you've got grief going on. You've got things, and and he comes, let me serve you. Let me pour in oil and wine. Let me be the one who can bring wholesome health and healing. Sometimes things don't change when we pray. We've all been there. The difference is, though, when you allow Jesus to serve you in your pain, you get through it. And as Isaiah 43 says, you come through it without the smell of smoke on your clothes, And you don't come through damp. You go through the waves and you come out dry. You go through the fire and you come out with the the smell of smoke on you. You know you've been through it. It shapes you. You'll never be the same again, some of the things we've been through. But if you will let Jesus serve you, come alongside. He's not serving you because he wants something back. 
Often we serve for those reasons, don't we? Well, I'll serve him, then maybe he'll serve me next week. No, he just, Jesus just wants to serve. He just loves you. And our part, I think as our, part of our preparation for Easter, this week, invite him to serve you. Be willing to let him sit at your feet, wash your feet, pour in oil and wine to the wounds, because the same Jesus who wrapped a towel around his waist and washed the disciples' feet wants to serve you by washing away the grime of your life. The stuff you just pick up on the road every day. He wants just to wash it away. For you to feel cleansed, healed, restored, forgiven. So let Jesus serve you. Second thing I want to say is this. As we move towards Easter, will you please let Jesus serve through you? Let Jesus serve through you. Today, Jesus is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. He's there because of the victory of the cross, waiting, waiting for the end to come. The scripture says that he doesn't know when it is. Only the Father knows when it is. So there's this sense in which Jesus is waiting and watching. And in the meanwhile, God has sent his spirit to be with everyone who believes in Jesus. The spirit of Christ. And if you call yourself a Christian today, the spirit of Christ is within you. It's within you. So when we say, well, can you please let Jesus serve through you? We want you to serve this week. Serve one another. By washing one another's feet, serve the community, serve God's purpose for your life by releasing the Jesus in you, by you being conscious of Jesus in you, allowing his life and love to pour out of you rather than just your own efforts and initiatives. The church is the body of Christ, isn't it? We're his body. In his lifetime, Jesus was able to go around and heal the sick and deliver people from demons, speak awesome messages and sermons, bring wisdom, and he did all he did. The idea is that he just continues. He's gone to heaven to be with his Father, sent his Spirit to us, and just how Jesus lived, it continues. But he now serves through us. The Easter servant is still serving But for it to be impactful, it must be done in the same spirit that Jesus served us in. And I think sometimes we, there's a danger we kind of tag, tag Jesus onto things. You know, if it's your will, Lord, I'll do this. If it's your will, Jesus wants you to be so close to him, so so in tune with his spirit in you, that you can't separate the two. You're just mindful that as I make this decision, as I reach to this person, as I go and encourage that person, as I bake a cake for the pregnant lady, as I do all these things. Laura arrived with a cake. Somebody had blessed her with this morning. It's an act of service. Now, was it the lady that made the cake? Or the person that made the cake? No, well, it, it was, but it was Jesus in them. It was them saying, I'm just going to 
serve Laura as Jesus would have served her. Beautiful thing, isn't it? Now, I think for Jesus to serve through us, our serving of God and one another must flow from that same place. And in the reading, I don't know whether it caught your eye, but verse 3 expresses beautifully the place that Jesus' service flowed from. It says this, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and is returning to God. So he got up and took a towel. There's this, that, that verse is kind of like saying, Jesus is sorted. He's, he's not serving for any wrong reasons. He's serving for the right reasons. He knew where he'd come from. Peace about his origins. He knew he was going back to his father. Peace about his destiny. And he knew that the father had placed all things under his power. He knew what he was in control of. Wow. I would suggest to you, when we serve as Jesus, and allow him to serve through us, we've got to be letting it flow from those same places. Let it flow from those same places. Do you know where you've come from? Could it be said of you? Yeah, I know I've come from God (laughs) and I'm going back to God. Easter gives you that gift. Once you're a Christian, you've you've reconciled that, yes, okay, in my life I've come from somewhere. I've, I've, I've got a family history. I'm a product of those parents. I've got an educational background. I'm a product of all that education and training. I've got a national identity, a sort of ethnic background. I've got various geographic backgrounds. We lived here for a while, then we lived there, then we moved to here. It's all shaped me. You know where you've come from. But somehow, all that only finds its real meaning and real rootedness when you're able to say, well, actually, I come from God. Because the scripture teaches me that he saw me in the womb. Psalm 139, read it and revel in it. He saw your unformed body. The scripture says that you were chosen in him before the foundations of the earth. God knew you before you knew him. But he knew that you would one day reach for him and know him. You've come from God. It gives a sense of rootedness, of origins. You know, we love watching the, all the sort of DNA programs and the, the family tree stuff and who do you think you are, all those programs that are on the TV. Everybody's searching for belonging, for rootedness. <laughs> Some people don't have any when it comes to all those natural things. Well, they can find a deep sense of rootedness when they find Jesus. They can. Because Jesus has served us that way. And once you find that, It allows you to serve from a beautiful place of security like he did. I think life only gains meaning and purpose when we see it in the light of that divine timeline that we're in. So I know where I've come from. I've come from God. And I know where I'm going. I mean, the beautiful thing about Christianity is it gives us hope for the future. Doesn't it? Christian funeral versus non-Christian funeral. It just shouts at you, doesn't it? The hope we have, 
That's why 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Hope in our hearts. I'm convinced there's going to be a lot of surprises when we get to heaven. I'm sure there'll be people there that we don't think should be there. (laughs) And maybe there'll be some people not there that we thought would be there. Who knows? Only God ultimately knows those who are his and how human beings reach to him from their many and varied settings down through the centuries. But I tell you this, once you've worked out, I'm going back to God. It means... You've decided your life here is simply that, the life of an exile. You're passing through. Your original country is heaven. That's where you were born from spiritually. And here you are in this world, just like Jesus was, living for a few years, and ultimately you're going to go back to heaven. Heaven is your home. And as we pass through here, our commission and our mission is to take as many people to heaven with us as we can, to introduce them to Jesus, to serve them like Jesus would serve them. Now, if you have a trajectory of life which is all about making money or becoming famous or becoming an, act, an expert, or you know, I just want to leave a legacy, all, all, all valid things to do, ultimately they could fail or succeed. But if you will attach them to a, an eternal timeline that dares to believe I've come from God. He knows me. He saw me. He knew I'd be born when I would be born. He knew the circumstance, and he's with me in it, and I'm going to live my life with him, and eventually I'm going to be with him again. That gives you a security like nothing else, and it makes your serving beautifully purposeful. You never find yourself serving so you'll be served. You don't find yourself serving just to be seen. Oh, it's me, it's me. No, you just serve the spirit of Jesus, serving one another, serving the world, and helping the mission advance. So we say we know where we've come from. We know where we're going to. The third thing Jesus knew was he knew the power that had been given to him. It says Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power. Wow. He just had to exercise that power. And the big power he had at that time was the power to choose to go through the cross. You know, God has given you immense power. Immense power. The power of the free will that you have, which you have by virtue of being made in the image of God, is massive. You can determine your own destiny because of the power that is in your hand. But God wants you to use that power to choose him so that then you and him together can complete that journey from eternity to eternity. Now, often I find myself trying to decide what to do in a situation and I find myself saying, well, if if it's God's will... Almost as if I've got to defer to God's will all the time. I can't move until I know what God's will is. I often feel God speak back to me in my heart saying, stop it, Steve. Don't wait until you know my will. We're doing this together. Just keep living. Just keep moving. Come on, take a step, son. Come on, Steve, take a step. Let's move towards this option. What does it feel like? Mm, it doesn't feel very peaceful. Okay, well, that's a good sign. I'm not in that. Okay, well, let's try this one. 
And you, you navigate life with Jesus, taking steps of obedience and faith, living a normal, powerful Christian life. You have the power to work with Christ in you. And I love that thought. In Philippians 2.12, it says that we have to continue to work out our salvation. Outwork it. Flesh it out. We have to do it. And it says we have to do it with fear and trembling. Because it's an awesome power we've got. It says in verse 13, For it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So your concern often is, I want it to be God's purpose. I want it to be God's will. Well, he promises here to be in you to help you use your human will to act in line with his will. Let Jesus serve you by filling you with his spirit. Then let that new life of Christ flow through you in the service of others. It was quite a shock to me when I sort of got beyond my teenage years to realize, actually, I have got a massive amount of power. I can choose whether to be generous or stingy. I can choose whether to serve or not to serve. I can choose whether to control my thoughts or not. Because the scripture says I can take it for thought captive. I can choose whether to be friendly or grumpy. I can choose whether to read the Bible or whether to pray or not. I can choose whether to go to North Bible School or not. It's a choice. It's a choice you and Jesus make together in harmony as you flow through life. I've got the power to be a domestic disaster or to be organized. (laughs) I've got a choice to be hospitable or not. I've got a choice to pray with people or not. Whether to be in control of my human passions or not. I know we're going to work tomorrow, many of us. and I've got the choice whether to work hard or to be lazy. Or whether to skank off, you know. I've got the choice whether to stay put in that job or to retrain. Life's full of choices that are in your power. Once you've got yourself on that eternal timeline, though, you know you've come from God and you're going back to God, and Jesus has served you by giving you his spirit, you say, thank you, Jesus. We're going to navigate this life together. It's in our power to work with Christ to live a successful, fruitful life. So let me conclude. Are you prepared for Easter? Can I encourage you this week to take a little bit of time? Might be just while you're washing the pots. Might be in those brief moments when the children are not creating chaos in your house. Maybe when you're just lying in bed at night in the peace. Take some time and allow Jesus to serve you. I believe he wants to serve and bless and equip Heal, restore. He wants to do something for you because he loves you. There's no edge to it. There's no agenda. Let Jesus serve you. And then in gratitude to his service, you'll find it's so much easier to then serve others as Jesus and let him serve through you. Reaffirm your convictions. Have a little chat with yourself. Say, Stephen, It's not all about the chocolate. It is not all about the chocolate. Some of us more than others need to have that conversation. I've got a strange thing. One of my grandchildren doesn't like chocolate. That is a weird thing. Anyway, just 
little side thought. So for her, it's not all about the chocolate. It's about lots of other things. It's not all about the eggs and the bunnies and the holidays. No, it is all about the one who came to serve us. The one who came as the Easter servant to give his life in place of ours. And as we approach Easter, what should therefore be rising our heart is not lust for chocolate. It should be gratitude to Jesus. Thank you, my Lord, for being willing to serve me. And just as Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he'd come from God and was returning to God, rest in peace, church. If you're Christ today, you've come from God. You're going to one day return to God. And in the meantime, Jesus is with you to live a powerful, Christ-centered, fruitful life at Easter, but also 24-7 for the rest of your life. Amen? Let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to be the Easter servant. We pray, Lord, that as we navigate these next few days, all the hype that goes with Easter, you would keep us as your people thoroughly Jesus-centered, thoroughly focused on the right thing, so that you can minister to us and serve us. And then you can serve through us as we move forward into this next season. In Jesus' name. Amen.